When I was 11 years old, I wanted to be president of the United States. How foolish was that? How foolish was that? And I had, as all kids did in the 1970s, a banana-handled bicycle. And so what I did is I got a little American flag and a little Indiana state flag, and I taped them to the top of the curve of the banana handle, and I would pedal around my neighborhood, and in my head, I was thinking that I was part of the presidential motorcade. Now, when I look back at that 11-year-old boy who was willing to pedal around in front of all the other boys with that going on, that took some chutzpah. That took some courage. That kid changed. When I entered high school, I did not want to stick out. I did not want to be weird. I did not want to be that kid with flags on his bike. And so I wanted to fit in. I wanted to conform. And so in the 1980s in Nowhere, Indiana, the uniform of the day was jeans, white tennis shoes, and a flannel t-shirt. We wore them every single day. Didn't matter whether it was Sadie Hawkins or not. That was the uniform. And that's what I did. Whatever my teachers wanted, whatever my friends wanted, whatever my extended family wanted or expected of me, I stretched for that. I reached for that. I did that because I wanted their approval. Now, during my senior year of high school, uh, I was getting pushback in my extended family about this call to pastoral ministry that I thought I had in my life. And so I convinced myself that I could serve God just as well by being a high school band director. So I entered college a music major. Can you believe it? Just so that extended family would be happy with me. Here's what I want you to know today. Real freedom, real freedom means not being controlled by the approval or disapproval of others. Real freedom means not being controlled by the approval or disapproval of others. When you're free to live your true self, your relationships have a better shot at being their best. And so what do I mean by your true self? Well, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean your sexuality. I don't mean your political affiliation. I mean what psychologists call your personality, your temperament, your likes and dislikes, your thoughts and feelings. I'm shocked as I go through life I encounter so many people who shove, who try to be somebody they're not. They try to be extroverted when they're introverted. They like or dislike something, but they keep it to themselves. They'll eat all kinds of foods that they just hate just to keep people happy. People that won't express what they really think or feel until long afterward. Well, I knew that wasn't going to work. Why didn't you say anything? Well, I'm not going to share my opinion, right? So very few Americans know how to do this well. Very few Americans know how to live their true self. Um, in America, it's like, be different, just like everybody else. I mean, that's what we do. Come on, that's, that's the American way. We see this all the time on Instagram. I'm not on there much, but I thoroughly enjoyed the sermon preparation time I got to spend on Instagram and, and what people do and don't do. So on Instagram... We put out the me that will get affirmed and liked. So any part of us that we think will get other people to go, you're awesome, woo, love it, like you, 
keep going. That's what we put out there. If there's anything about us that we feel will get judged or condemned, we keep that quiet. We don't post about it. We don't say it. We don't speak it. And often what gets posted on Instagram is a projected self, a curated self, an edited self. So here's a lady who clearly touched up her face, not recognizing that her real face is in the reflection. One is a different size than the other. This young man in this photo can lift a lot, except when you see the mirror behind him and recognize that he's had it about one, two, three, four more dumbbells to what's actually on the bar. Then there's the lady who wanted to have blue eyes. I have sort of blue eyes and I get it, but really? <laughs> this picture's scary. I mean, I feel like I'm in a horror movie. But she thought it was great. Then there's the people who get outed by their younger siblings. So here's the actual post of the person saying that she's going on a hike. Here's her sister taking a picture of her doing the post and saying, yeah, that's in our backyard. She's not going on a hike. <laughs> okay. Again, real freedom means not being controlled by the approval or the disapproval of other people. And when you're free to live your true self, your relationships have a better shot at being their best. Now, Today's message, just like every message in this series, comes from Peter and Jerry Scazzerzo's groundbreaking, groundbreaking course, Emotionally Healthy Relationships. I cannot recommend enough. He has done a great gift to the church in America by reminding us that you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You just can't. They're mutually contradictory. So we're in this series because Jesus was once asked, what's the most important commandment? And he said, oh, love God with everything you've got and love your neighbor as yourself. And so what I want for us as a congregation is to be men and women who can give love and receive love well. And I know that a lot of things can get in the way of that. And if you're going to have healthy relationships, you've got to be able to give love and receive love well. Now, when it comes to this being free from the approval or disapproval of others, I want you to know that I believe Jesus of Nazareth, uh, Jesus of Nazareth was completely free. Jesus was completely free of the approval and disapproval of others and having that mark him and name him. How do I know that? Because he disappointed so many people. He disappointed so many people because he said no to what they wanted or what they expected. Jesus said no to the crowds who wanted to make him king, John chapter 6. He said no to Peter who was like, no, you're not going to die on a cross, Matthew chapter 16. He said no to the religious leaders who wanted him to stop claiming to be the Messiah. No, I and the Father are one. Get it, boys. This is how it is. Uh, John chapter 5. He said no to his family who wanted him to stop this itinerant ministry and come home and quit rocking the boat. And what does Jesus tell him? My real family, my true family, those are the people who do the will of my father, right? He said no to the people who wanted to, him to prove that he was the son of God. Come down from that cross. We'll worship you. Everybody all over will worship you. Nope, I'm dying on a cross. Luke chapter 23. So today, I want to peer into one of these encounters where Jesus says no to other people's expectations 
and what other people want of him. And it's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to look at some sections of it. Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. He taught regularly in the synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they said. Isn't this Joseph's son? And then he said, oh, you'll undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, but only one healed, and that was Naaman, a Syrian. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of a hill on which the town was built. They intended, him to, they intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his own way. We know from the Mishnah that a Jewish synagogue service followed a kind of pattern week after week. I don't know if you know this, but your church family has a pattern, don't we? Like on a typical Sunday, there's a pattern, and then every now and then we mess it up, and you're like, whoa, what's going on? Freaks you out. And the pattern they followed was this. They, you had to have 10 men present. Sorry, ladies, that's how it was. You had to have 10 men present to have the synagogue service be legit. And so once 10 men had gathered, they would recite the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Elcheno, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Okay. Then the tefillah is just prayers. Then there would be a reading from the Torah, which is the first five books of what we call the Old Testament. Then there was a reading from the prophets, which just happened in the passage that we read together. Then there was a sermon, and then a benediction, and then went home. Does this look familiar? If you grew up Methodist or Disciples of Christ, or <laughs> it's not all that different, is it? And so Jesus is teaching and, and speaking during this sermon part of the synagogue service. And he's explaining the texts that were read, and he's explaining his mission, and he's saying, I'm bringing good news to the poor. Now, he's talking about the poor who are economically disadvantaged. They don't got no money. Their uncle doesn't got no money. Their dad doesn't, they have no money in their family. They're broke all the time. 
And, and if you were to talk to them, they would say, poverty has grabbed hold of our family like a plague and we can't shake it. And every generation is just poor, just like the generation before it. So he's talking about that, but he's also talking about the Anawin, the pious poor, people in life who've been afflicted by something. Maybe it was a health ailment where they were never allowed to bear children. And so they feel crushed by life, but they have open hands and open hearts to God. And, and the scriptures call those the pious poor. So Jesus has in mind both when he says, the poor will receive release, recovery of sight, and freedom from oppression. And he says this, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. And he rolls up the scroll and everyone is staring at him. This day, you? And notice what the Luke tells us. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed. This word gets used throughout the New Testament. Uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders were amazed. He teaches as though someone who has had extensive training. The crowds were amazed. The disciples were amazed. There's something about the way Jesus talks about God and our relationship with God that people are like, whoa, this is different. This is good. This is, I want in on this, okay? And so uh, they're amazed, the, the gracious words that came from his lips. And then there's the question, wait a minute, you're Joseph bar uh, uh, you're Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus, the son of Joseph. He was a carpenter. You're supposed to be a carpenter. You're not supposed to be this itinerant guy. You're from Nazareth. We know that the one we're waiting for will not come from Nazareth. Like you can't be him. Like, who do you think you are? And so Jesus kind of reprimands them in this next passage. And he talks about the time of Elijah. And what Jesus is basically saying to them is, you guys, you are really bad at recognizing what's right in front of your face. You can't see what's right in front of your face. What's wrong with you people? Now, if you grew up in church in the 90s or 2000s, you probably remember singing the song, these are the days of Elijah declaring the way of the Lord. What you're really singing when you sing that is, we are a bunch of apostates. We don't want to trust in the Lord because the days of Elijah in the scriptures is like an insult. The lowest, most apostate point in Israel's history is the, are the days of Elijah, okay? And Elijah's got a beef with all of the people. I mean, read him, okay? <laughs> so it's an insult. So Jesus is saying, you guys are as bad as your ancestors were in the days of Elijah. In fact, the Gentiles are more worthy of God's attention right now than you are. And so what happens? They get mad. <laughs> they get mad. Amazement turns to anger and disgust and disappointment. And Jesus is able to, to take that disappointment and still be true to himself, right? Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that Luke has the baptism and the 40 days in the wilderness right before this encounter, because it's at the baptism, Jesus hasn't done any miracles. He hasn't begun his public ministry and, and, a, and an audible voice on behalf of God the Father says, 
this is my loved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's not based on performance. It's based on the context of relationship. And so uh, Jesus has that identity secure. He knew who he was, and he was completely free from the control of the disapproval or approval of other people. We see it in John chapter 13, where uh, John tells us that uh, knowing where he had come from and where he was going, in other words, this relationship with the Father, he takes up a towel and basin and he washes the disciples' feet. It's no harm on him to do a servant's job. He, know who, he knows who he is. And then in John chapter 17, uh, Jesus says something very significant. He says, uh, I have given you glory, Father. Um, I'm going to find this because I want you to hear it. John chapter 17, verse 4. Uh, this is the way to have eternal life. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you've given me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. I don't know about you, but I want to be more like Jesus in this way. I want to be able to not allow the approval or disapproval of other people to tell me who I am, to crush me, to box me in, and to have me not be the person God made me to be. I don't know about you, <laughs> but I want that for me. And so I want you to be more like Jesus in this way too, free, authentically you, and allowing God to tell you who you are. So in light of what we see in this passage, in the life of Jesus, I want to ask a couple of questions. And the first is simply this, under what circumstances or to whom do you find it difficult to say no? Under what circumstances or to whom do you find it difficult to just say no? And then think about the last 24 hours. In what ways did you choose your actions or words to gain approval or avoid disapproval? In what ways have you chosen actions or words to gain approval or avoid disapproval? Now, Peter Scazzerzo outlines five indicators of a divided life where you're basically doing the Instagram thing everywhere, okay? And here are these five indicators. I know that I'm doing this when I care too much about what others think. I am living a divided life when I care too much about what others think. I am living a divided life when I spin the truth, exaggerate, or lie to make myself look better than I really am. I am living a divided life when I blame others rather than taking responsibility for my words and my actions. I'm living a divided life when I avoid confrontation. I am living a divided life when I say yes when I'd rather say no. Let me say that again because some of you, this is like, what? <laughs> I am living a divided life when I say yes when in fact I would prefer to say no. Which is true of you? Which is true of you? Now, a very important way of clarifying what it means to live your true self, what it means to be free from the control of, of the approval of others or the disapproval of others is through differentiation. I know this is a kind of a big college word, but I wanna spell out what differentiation is, okay? Uh, According to Murray Bowen, differentiation refers to a person's capacity to define his or her own life goals and values apart from the pressures 
of those around them. It's a person's capacity to define his or her own life goals and values apart from the pressures of those around them. It means holding on to who you are and who you are not. One of the blessings of getting older in life, I'm going to tell you, I'm only in my 50s now, I know for sure who I am not. Hallelujah. <laughs> I hope for you, you get to a point where you know who you are not. There's tremendous freedom in that. It means you're able to remain close to people important to you, while at the same time being able to affirm your distinct values and goals apart from pressures they might exert. It means I may not agree with you and you may not agree with me, but I can still be in relationship with you anyway, okay? Now again, real freedom means not being controlled by the approval or disapproval of others. I want this for you. Listen, when I was a young pastor, I agreed to meetings, I agreed to expectations of people in my church families because I wanted them to like me and I wanted them to be pleased with me. Pastor Max, it's really important. I want you to be in the hospital with me all day. <laughs> Pastor Max, I want, to, I want to meet with you 21 times in a row. Like, just, and I, yes, yes, absolutely, yes, absolutely, yes, yes. And I would do that because I wanted people to be pleased with me. And the cost, the cost was often too much for me and too much for my family. Now that I'm a little older and wiser, I say no more than I used to. I say no sometimes more than I say yes. And I've come to realize, this may shock some of you in the room, that not everyone out there is going to like Max Vanderpool as their pastor. And you know what? <gasps> That's okay. Here's what I would say about you. You need to get to a point like Jesus of Nazareth where you can recognize that not everybody in your family, not everybody around you is going to like you for who you are, for who God made you to be. And you know what? That's okay. It's their loss. It's that's okay. But real freedom means allowing God to tell you who you are and walking in that and living that definitely the way we see in Jesus of Nazareth. Again, I want you to experience the freedom that comes with living your true self, even if it means you ride around with a bicycle that's got a cheesy little American flag and Indiana State flag taped to it, even if that's what that means, okay? I want to ask our musicians to come up. We're going to sing, and hopefully while we're singing, you'll give God an opportunity to give you some freedom in your heart and in your brain. So here you are. You're gathered in this room. God is here. God's real. He's at work, and he actually is at work in your life, even if you can't recognize it. And this is a good opportunity to say, hey, God, I would like to be more free in this area. Would you stand with me? And may I pray for you and pray for me. Father, we don't want to live somebody else's life. We want to live our lives, the lives that you've given us. We want to be free. Jesus said that he came to set us free. Jesus came and he said he promised abundant life. That's what we want. That's what we need. We don't want to be a slave to the approval or disapproval of all these other people in our lives. We live to an audience of one, you. So, Father, give us eyes to see things with clarity Give us ears to hear the leading of your spirit, and I pray for open hearts and open lives to you. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.